So a week ago or so, I was up in the Black Forest. I did a wedding for this lovely young couple. And, you know, I had done their friend's wedding like a year ago, and they found me, and they wanted me to do their wedding. And I got to know them, and they really overcame a lot in their lives um, and came together at just the right time and fell in love. And, you know, I asked them, what reading would you like in your wedding and I wasn't surprised when they said 1 Corinthians 13, written by Paul. It is a glorious and enduring sort of uh, piece of literature from, 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 um, from the New Testament. And you probably know it, but if you don't, I'll, I'll refresh your memory this morning. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and Anytime Paul is writing to a church anywhere, there's trouble. In this case, the Corinthians in that church are all in a tussle because they're evaluating, judging, comparing their spiritual gifts. Well, you can hear them saying, Connie is great. She can sing and she can play the keys, but really... Can she speak in tongues like me? No. <laughs> no. Poor Connie. Oh, poor Connie. I am so much more gifted than she is, so much closer to God. I'm sure, I am sure, when you get such kinds of language, there is a, but God bless her at the end of that, right? <laughs> or someone might say, Roger, he is occasionally funny but can he prophesy like me? No. No. I don't think so. God bless him. But my, my gift of prophecy beats out his goofy, earthy words every time. And don't even get me started on his teachers. My teachers leave them in the dust. Paul isn't having it. Paul is not playing that game. So he writes them a letter And of all the letters he wrote to all those churches, a few of them got collected and make up a bulk of the New Testament. And we get to enjoy his wise counsel. And out of his teaching, that group of Corinthians, we have this beautiful wedding reading. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but don't have love, I am a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, but I don't have love, I've done nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-serving or self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And it keeps no records of wrongs. Amen? Amen. Love keeps no records of wrongs. 
You may be a parent. You may be a grandparent. You may be in a relationship. You may be single and just focused on yourself right now. Love keeps no records of wrongs. If you hear nothing else today, let that be it. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It protects, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. Love never fails. Now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these? Love. Hands down, Paul says. So in weddings, I don't do a a sermon typically. I, I share with the couple my three prayers for them. Based on what I know of their life together and who they are, I provide three prayers for them. And in sharing of our prayers for one another, our deepest aspirations for one another, we truly get to know each other. Warts and in all. And in asking for prayer, we expose our vulnerabilities. We expose our truest self. This is the great risk of love. This is the great invitation to risk love. This is my true self. And I have made mistakes and I have not always done what I could, but this is me. And I am loving and compassionate and whole and perfect and beautiful just as I am. And I'm becoming, with God's grace, who I might be. Here lies the way of community. Here lies the way of trust and love and community. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians saying, I have three prayers for you, even though you guys are just making a mess with all of your comparisons and all of your judgments and all your evaluations. You're making a mess of it all. But here are my three prayers for you. Faith, hope, and above all, love. Faith. This is the time of transformation. This month we're looking at transformation. How does faith transform our lives? The founder of this tradition, Unity, this movement, this philosophy, picked Peter as the disciple that embodies faith. It's a fascinating pick because Peter is far from perfect. He betrays his friend and teacher, Jesus, even though he says he would not do so. He gets it wrong, but in faith, he keeps moving forward. In faith, he keeps moving forward. He becomes the rock upon which the whole church is founded. Faith, Fillmore, Charles Fillmore wanted you to know, is the assurance of good right now in every moment. Your good is available here and now, and here and now, and here and now, forever and always. At the heart of all creation, there is a purposeful goodness from which we come and which we live our fullest 
to which we shall at last return. That goodness is in you. Faith helps us to grab hold of that goodness. As a person of faith, I've tried to decide, where do I land? What do I contribute? What is my way in the world? And I want you to ask that question of yourself. As a person of faith, what do I contribute to my family, to my spiritual community, to the world? And as I thought about myself, my particular task, my particular task in the church and in the world has been that of an explorer who wishes to explore and search the depths of faith and its silences and its ambiguities and it like in the in the questions and to grab hold of some certainties that will help me move forward that lie beyond the bottom of my anxiety that are deeper than my fears And those depths, there are no easy answers. There are no pat solutions to anything. It's kind of like you go in the submarine and you go deeper and deeper. And the more that you see the depths of the ocean, the more there is to explore. On this level, the great gift that has come to me that I have seen is that at this level down there when you're in the depths of the ocean. The distinctions fall away. Believer, unbeliever, Buddhist, Christian, atheist, Jew, all those distinctions fall away. It's not that some are right and others are wrong. All are bound together in this honest perplexity and questioning. This is what faith is about for me. Everyone is an unbeliever, more or less. Only when this fact is fully experienced, when we cling no longer to our formulas, but to the experience of unity and wholeness and well-being and perfection, then one begins to see the simple message of all religions, which is that it's all grace, pure and simple grace, here and now. You are good enough, just as you are. And with God's grace ever moving to what you are becoming. A person of wholeness and peace and well-being and harmony who can bless the world now that you are blessed. And see that every crevice, every fiber, every bit of the world is infused with God's beauty and grandeur. Faith is not just this grim determination to hold on to formulas, but above all, the opening of the inward eye, the eye of the heart, to see that we are surrounded by beauty and we're part of it. 
<clears throat> That's faith. How does it transform us? Now, hope. The second prayer that Paul shared with those Corinthians was hope. Yesterday, I had not one thing to do. I didn't have one thing on my agenda. It was startling. It was crazy. And Marta, my beloved, didn't have one thing to do. We were sitting at home, you know, in our jammies. Like, hey, what are we going to do? We got nothing. (laughs) It's great. So I said to her, well, you know, Marta, tomorrow I'm preaching on um, faith, hope, and love, regardless of what the e-bulletin said, whoever told me the sermon title. I'm preaching on faith, hope, and love tomorrow. What, what is this about hope? What is this about hope? What do you think it is about hope? And she said to me, hope is the idea that we're walking towards something worthwhile. I I was reminded when she told me that of the story from last week. We're in the season of Easter. And in the lectionary, in the readings, in the Christian tradition, the lectionary, there was a reading from the Gospel of John towards the end. Jesus has been killed. Jesus has been resurrected. But the disciples in this reading uh, don't know what to do. Because They're focused on the fact that Jesus is gone. Their teacher and their friend is gone. And this reading begins with this incredible image. It says the disciples on that day were behind locked doors, hidden for fear of the authorities. Now, Mary Magdalene had already told them that Jesus was resurrected and not in the tomb, but... We're not even going to focus on that, that men ignore the counsel of women. I mean, that's too easy. Like, that's just too, we're just not even going to go there right now, right? Those guys are behind closed doors. They're behind locked doors because their whole sense of hope and walking towards something worthwhile shattered and gone. And it's just this incredible image. Now, we're in the the world of narrative and poetry and story here. This incredible image of the resurrected Jesus comes to the door behind which these disciples are hidden. And it says, he just walked through. He just walked through and says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. When we're without hope, when cynicism or despair might be an adequate response or fear and hiding away, when you get to that point, I want you to just imagine yourself as those disciples locked up behind closed doors, And I want to imagine that you are those disciples full of fear, full of sadness, without hope. And I want you to also imagine that inside of you, part of you, is Jesus. Just walking through whatever barrier you're going to pick, you know, put up. 
and saying to that part of you that is struggling and hurting, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Hope, that prayer that he had for the Corinthians, hope is that sense that we are walking towards something worthwhile. But above it all, above all of that, faith and hope. Above all of that, the prayer is for love. To stand in love, to live in love, to be in love, to explore love for all of creation. That above all. Love is patient. Love is kind. This is what we are called to. More than any of the others is a life of unity, a life of love. When we find ourselves in love, we find ourselves fully human, fully perfect, fully whole, co-creating with the divine We are in the zone. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then, when we really experience that love, we can share it in all of our vulnerability, in all of our realness, in all of our goofiness, in all of our dorkiness, whatever it is, that whatever gift we've been given, we get to share it fully, authentically. So Marta said to me yesterday, you know, I was reading this study that came out of the Institute for Youth Ministry at Princeton. And the researchers asked clergy, and they asked parents, and they asked kids, why are you coming to church, and why are you bringing your kids to church? The clergy, as you might imagine, said, I want to keep this particular tradition that I have claimed and that I'm working in alive and I want to give it to the next generation so that they might know some of the peace that I've known and bless the world with this. And the parents were like, I want somebody, because I sure don't know how to do it, to teach my kids values and life lessons and morals and rights and wrongs. And the kids said this. I want to experience God. I want to experience God. So simple, so profound. Faith, hope, and love. When we claim those things, when we live out of those things, when those prayers become prayers for our own selves, our communities, the whole world, then we experience God. Peace be with you, friends. Blessings.